0: Welcome to All Else Sequel, a podcast that connects Notre Dame undergrads with faculty expertise. Today's question comes from Mario Berkeley. Mario was a former student of mine who's always enjoyed the intersection of business and sports. After Notre Dame, he spent time producing many of the ESPN Sports Center shows y'all have loved. He wrote in with this question. Hi, Forrest and Jason. Can you both talk a bit about the NCAA's decision to cancel some collegiate sports? and the state of college football in general thanks a lot talk to you soon i'd love to get brian levy in to talk about this uh brian is a lawyer and a teaching professor of accounting who teaches classes on business and sports ethics within the mendoza college business he's often tapped by the administration to help discuss these issues and plus he's just a really good storyteller yeah sounds great to me let's call brian so we just want to thank uh, Brian for being here today with us. Thanks, Brian.
1: Uh, thanks so much. It's a great opportunity.
0: So
2: maybe we can start off 30,000 feet and you could just give us an overview on the current status of amateurism as defined by the NCAA. That's assuming they still do something.
1: Uh, yeah. Well, that, that, that's actually an interesting way to phrase it. Um, yeah. <laughs> so at 30,000 at, at 30, <laughs> 30, feet, um, yeah, basically you can 't profit off your your status as an intercollegiate athlete and and you can 't you know get paid to perform in your sport there there's some exceptions and and you sort of very quickly get down in, into the weeds but but at a high level're you 're an amateur in the traditional sense you 're doing something uh, for the love of the game as as a uh, you know as a hobby as a pursuit that kind of thing
2: and so you teach a course in business ethics, maybe you could just kind of walk us through. How we should think about the, I don't know if you want to call it a controversy, but like the controversy over whether amateur athletes, you know, NCAA athletes should be compensated uh, or at least compensated more than they currently are.
1: Yeah, sure. So I, I think in our, our business ethics classes uh, in in Mendoza, and this is probably not unique to us, but uh, across campus in our ethics classes, and and in this this one I'm teaching this this semester, which which happens to be a a, a sports ethics class, but it's a, it's sort of a very thinly disguised business ethics class. It turns out our students are uh, uh, they're really interested in sports, and you can use sports as as a vehicle to talk about almost any any business ethics issue or, or life ethics issue for that matter. Uh, so we talk about these ethical paradigms and. and, and So yeah, if you think about Compensating a student athlete, or letting them get, get compensated for their name, image, and likeness, uh, you know, you could start with with uh, egoism. Should should a quarterback uh, be allowed, a Trevor Lawrence at, at Clemson, be allowed to profit off his name, image, and likeness? Uh, I suppose the egoism uh, camp. It probably depends who, who you are, uh, you know, where you're sitting. If you're Trevor Lawrence, I would imagine you would you would like to get uh, uh, like to be able to profit off your uh, your NIL. I haven't had the conversation with him personally, but the, you, you would probably expect that someone in his shoes. Uh, the utilitarian point of view, uh, you know, sort of the, the, Traditionally, the, the the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few, and so the, the college football or the college sports model is that we are going to, um, you know, sort of make money off of D1 college football and, and uh, D1 men's basketball, and, and we're going to give uh, those those student-athletes the value of a scholarship, but to the extent they bring in more money than the value of that scholarship, it's going, going to subsidize other sports so that the needs of the many outweigh those the needs of those few in in those revenue sports uh get into deontology and you start asking things like uh uh you know we don't want to use people as a, a means to an end right the golden rule do unto others you have them do unto you so are, are we uh, i think a fair question would be are, are we using uh, uh d1 f- uh, football players or men's basketball players as as a means to to an end uh virtue ethics we we ask questions like what would be virtuous and and here's sort of a challenge because the 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 virtues you know often collide uh, uh, father John in his op-ed piece in the New York Times in, in May he sort of he sort of walked through in essence the ethical paradigms or, or a sort of classical ethical decision-making model and and he you know he sort of compared competing uh, virtues or values safety versus things like uh, educating the mind body and spirit and and uh, you know all the good that happens in personal interactions on campus uh, in the classroom during office hours and in our, in our laboratory Tories, service, scholarship, worship, athletics, you know, the, the list goes on and on. So how do you weigh those competing virtues and values? And then, and then we talk about justice as fairness too uh, from, from John Rawls, and he uses this thought experiment, the veil of ignorance. And, and it's sort of, you know, w- what if you did not know what your identity is? And, and it, it makes you sort of forces you to walk in the shoes of others. I think of him probably more as a Maybe more of a political philosopher, but but it's you know he's he's sort of wor- he's I think he was more worried about how do we allocate society's resources that kind of thing, but it's very helpful and I think a, a micro level to sort of walk in someone else's shoes. Uh, so if I was so, Trevor
2: Lawrence, I should have gone to South Carolina instead of Clemson, well, well, or I'd prefer yeah, to get paid. What, what well, you like? Is, is, is
1: it is it possible you have a home team bias there for this South Carolina be. as opposed to Clemson? Uh, yeah. So that, so it, it's useful and, and the, you know, challenge we, you know, that we, we all sort of had this, this, this sort of pregame dialogue, if you will, or pregame conversation, both, both virtually and, and, and in person. And, and, uh, you know, I, I think a challenge of these paradigms is they, they sort of yield opposing results, but then, you know, the challenge for the decision maker for our students and, and then when they go off into sort of, you know, business and, and life is, you know, okay, what kind of person do I want to be and what kind of world do I want to live in and, and the, the the beauty of these 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 paradigms or an ethical decision-making model is, is it forces you, I mean, sometimes the answer becomes obvious as, as you sort of have this conversation out loud with somebody else. Like you ask your friend, Hey, I have this problem. And, and as you're walking through this, you're like, yeah, okay. You kind of sheepishly uh, shrug your shoulders and walk away and say, yeah, I, I know what the answer is. Other times it just forces you to make the hard decision, but at least you have made a sort of well-rounded, well-reasoned decision that has sort of looked at this, this problem from, from all sides.
2: If we're looking at virtue ethics, does playing football pass the same test as like bringing everybody back for in-person classes? Oh, I like that
1: question. So, uh, you know, in, in the, should we, should we play football? I understand reasonable people uh, disagree and, and may, maybe this is the time to state that <laughs> the opinions expressed are my own, Brian Levy, private <laughs> citizen, <laughs> and not those of the department of accountancy, the Mendoza college of <laughs> business, the university of Notre Dame or its officers or trustees. These are all. Responsible. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I I'm in the, sort of let's wait and see camp let's take it one game at a time camp and 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 so I'm, I'm sort of where you know notre dame is on this not 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 just because they're 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 writing my paycheck because i i, I do think it's 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 the right thing to do uh, because of a variety of these paradigms but but is it virtuous yeah i mean i think we're trying to educate the 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 mind the body and the spirit uh, you know more broadly you know you, you sort of get into things like the the good that that uh sports do for the individual and then the good that sports do for the 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 common good uh, and it 's everything from um, you know things like advancing conversations about race and, and gender and economic development, but but also uh, s- sort of the 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 joy and euphoria that that sports bring to the individual, to the fan, to the to the community. Um, you know my father-in-law moved here. Uh, he he was um, getting old and and uh, he needed to move into um, assisted, assisted living. So we brought him here uh, about a year ago, and I'd go visit him every Thursday night. What do you think we talked about? Notre Dame football, class of 1950. 56. I have a friend who's, who's not doing too well, sort of spare the details of the story. His wife tells me that he is living for the return of football. And and so, you know, there, there is sort of this, this good that sports do on the individual level for the participant, but and the fan, but also for the broader, the community, the common good.
0: So I, 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 within your answer, I want to get back to something Uh, related to the compensation part of the conversation, because we had Pac-12 players kind of band together, uh, make some sort of declaration to say that we're, we're not going to be playing this season um, without being at least maybe fairly compensated or without having our best interests look after. And that makes me kind of my, my natural follow-up question is, well, why can't they push that a little bit further and say well maybe we should actually just be compensated so can would we do you think maybe we could see unionizing at the collegiate level something that's going to happen
1: so in, in class, we talk a little bit about the, the Northwestern case from a few years ago. And, and uh, so, that, so a, um, I think a, a regional re, uh, regional administrative judge, uh, labor law is not really my area, but it has its own sort of arc, arcane uh, hierarchy, but sort of a you know, regional administrative law judge for our purposes of the, uh, the uh, Department of Labor said that you know, D1 football players are employees and can unionize. And that got sort of uh, overruled, if you will, at the NLRB level in, in Washington, DC but but but, sort of for policy reasons like we we, we can 't have seventeen d one private schools potentially unionizing and and the federal labor laws wouldn't wouldn't apply to uh, public state law, uh, public state schools so it w- it would be a sort of unmanageable situation but but i think the, the in an ethics class, we still talk about it because i, th- I think the 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 ethical issue is is important for everything. You know, I don't think most of our students have a union background, and if I say to them, what, what, what you know, name some good things unions do, and they might point to salary and, and wages, so we can get to the compensation issue. But more than that, it's sort of safe working conditions, mm-hmm. and and then having a voice. And so sometimes it, it spills over into a conversation about. Uh, Catholic social teaching and subsidiarity and the dignity of each person and 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 those, those sorts of important things. So so you know even if it's just about um, ha- having a voice in your your sort of working conditions, I think that's important. Uh, you know, on the compensation issue, maybe we'll sort of shift gears over to that more broadly. If we go back a few years, th- there were. The, the conversation was probably more than about direct payment to players and, and it arose uh, through litigation through the O'Bannon case. And, and then uh, over time, it has sort of morphed. I think, I think most of the focus now is on uh, allowing student athletes to, to profit off their name, image, and likeness. And that, and that, the, the focus there is really uh, in sort of the legislative branch, both at the state levels. I think there's three states that have passed legislation, and and now there are some bills because of that. There are bills kicking around in Congress. And there has to be spillovers from this, right? And to, tell tell me more. What do you mean? Say um, that? I guess what I mean is. You know,
2: if California says it's okay for student athletes to profit off their likeness, it's hard for me to imagine that, like, the state of Alabama is not going to also pass similar legislation.
1: Yeah, so I've I've got a map, sort of a map of the U.S. I use I use in in, um, in class, and again, I think there's three states that have passed actual statutes that are on the books that are going to come online uh, in the, in the map. That, that not that it matters, but those were in green, and then there was like this whole mosaic of other states in yellow, which had bills pending. Kind of to your point, and I think the reason, among the reasons, Congress has gotten involved is you you can't have sort of this this patchwork of of state laws. Uh, sort of sort of again to your question and i think the reason the ncia has sort of reluctantly come around on this issue is is that you know they 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 the kind of again they they have you know uh, for always and forever uh, been against uh, direct payments or categories. Rising student athletes as employees or, you know, anything that looks like wages. Right. Uh, and they've also been against compensating for name, image, and likeness, but I think they finally kind of, you know, licked their finger stuck it up in the breeze and saw which way the wind was blowing and said, we, you know, we got to be part of shaping this legislation on Capitol Hill or it's going to happen without, without us.
2: Along the lines of the NCAA uh, I heard a friend recently say that the NCAA uh, is great at doing the things you don't want them to do and horrible at doing the things uh, that you would want them to do. <laughs> um, can you convince me that the NCAA has not done a terrible job uh, in this sort of current crisis? Oh, wow. That would be a tall
1: order. So, <laughs> so uh, you have to play devil's advocate here. right? <laughs> yeah. So, here, here's the problem. When I was a kid, so, so uh, you know, I'm born in 1962, just turned 58. When I was a kid growing up, the NCAA, they were the good guys, right and, I don't and remember that. yeah 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 this is way before your time but then now this this ethics and sports class is we we got to just call it old guy talking you know and, and and so I tell I tell them these stories you know once upon a time boys and girls the nca they were the good guys and and they they sort of policed the sort of rogue bandit outlaw schools and and kept them in line and now i think there's the you know sort of in popular culture where we're, we're not so sure anymore because they you know wh- where where was the NCA sort of historically on on CTE? Where was the NCA historically on um, that sort of other health, safety, and welfare issues of student athletes? The the ever longer seasons, the ever more demanding travel, the you know all the the proliferation of night games we see on on uh you know school nights and and, and things like that. Um, and, and so and then more recently with, with COVID, uh, you know the conferences uh, see you know it's like sort of like we got the Balkans here. Each conference kind of doing its own thing, and and where is the NCAA? So they're they're you know they're pretty good about um, you know regulating whether a booster can give a bagel to a student athlete, but but maybe not so good on some of the bigger issues of our day.
2: Yeah, you sent us some information uh, prior to the interview, and I was amazed with what the the NCAA president's salary was. Uh,
1: well, yeah, so I, it, it, it
2: seems uh, it doesn't seem to match kind of the guidance the NCAA has given during. Uh, you know, over the, at least the past six months.
1: So yeah, again, uh, alluding to my age, maybe which, which I think is, is sort of, um, I, I think somewhat relevant, because I'm 58. And I sort of skew old, right? I, I have the tastes and attitudes of a guy who's like 78. So I'm shocked that that my views are what they are. But I've, I've sort of come around to, to this thinking that, you, you know, all the adults, and I know student athletes are adults, but let, let's call them, you know, all the adults in the system who are making the rules, they, they sell their services to the highest bidder. So the head of the NCAA, I think in the last reported year, made $3.9 uh, million uh, as the head of a not-for-profit that makes its money off the backs of amateurs. So, and again, I, on, on some Amazing. level, yeah, I, I don't begrudge him that. I, I'm a free market guy. I, this is still America. We, I can sell. I actually kind of do rush him that. Sorry. <laughs> but, well, but yeah, but on some, you know, but on some level, I, I don't want to say that. I don't want people to think I'm a, I don't know what, a, a, a Marxist or an anarchist or communist or hater. I, you know, I I, I love capitalism. But the, the irony here is that everybody who sets the rules, the rules of amateurism, sell their services to the highest bidder in the free market and are making ever more money at doing it. So it's, it's sort of, in, in the, the, uh, if, if, if even I, this kind of knuckle-dragging caveman, <laughs> look at the optics of these situations and say, gee, there's maybe something, uh, I don't know what, ironic here or paradoxical or not, or not right, surely more thoughtful, progressive people uh, are, are way ahead of me on this. And, and then you I know, I think all market. three
2: of us appreciate free markets. I think more I think maybe my complaint was would be that this isn't such a free market.
1: Well, that's, but, that's the point. It's, it's, sorry to Yeah. It's this, it's this skewed system. So, so we, you know, we're both, we, we are uh, for social distancing purposes, a few offices away from each other here in the Mendoza College of Business, but we can both look out the window and see Notre Dame stadium. And, and in November uh, you know, Dabo Sweeney's going to come in here with the Clemson Tigers, the head coach, and he makes roughly 8.25 million per year. You know, if you go back in time and, and the quarterback, you know, can't sell his name, image or likeness. If you go back in time. So Dan, Danny Ford uh, sorry more more old guy references here but he led the Clemson Tigers to a national championship in 1980 he made roughly $50,000 so if you, you know, depending what inflation calculator you pump these salaries into you know Danny Ford would now be making $157,000 in today's salary or Dabo if we go back in time he'd be making 2.6 million so so there's the, you know the point of this is there is a crazy amount of money coming into the system who gets the money and and right now it is it is the adults in the system the the largely sort of white males who who run the system and, and the system is so flush with cash that now, you know, we have coaches in, in sort of the non-revenue sports making a lot of money. And, and again, I, I sort of sound, oh, I guess maybe want to be, a, I don't know what, a, a, an apologist or, or it's being a lawyer. You always want to couch everything. But I love sports. I love college sports. I love women's sports. I love, you know, the list goes on and on. I love baseball. I love softball. But but the, you know, sort of D1 men's basketball and football are, are funding, in essence, all these non on revenue sports and and again you know, if a guy like me looks at it and says, maybe the racial optics aren't all that great because D1's men's basketball and, and D1's football are you know, predominantly African-American male and the people making the money in the system are uh, predominantly white males or, or propping up predominantly sort of white, non-revenue suburban sports. If, if somebody like me who's not all that progressive looks at it and says the racial optics aren't great, surely more thoughtful people are further along on this, this spectrum right?
0: Um, so I, you brought up a, I think a really interesting point is with all the money in the system, we're seeing, you know, not just coaches, salaries inflated for all, all sports revenue and non-revenue producing, but we're also seeing, you know, additional, um, varsity sports kind of being created, um, that benefit from these revenue producing sports. Now that we see, you know, football might not be playing and basketball might, might, might not be playing. What happens to these traditional Olympic sports? I think going forward, I like that you called them non-revenue sports. Sorry. Like, you don't yeah.
2: generate any revenue. Well,
1: I, yeah. So I, there's, I, yeah, this is, this is the, uh, again, the, 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 you know, teaching is, is, is sort of a minefield of, of, uh, you know, we're trying to use sort of the, the latest and, and, and best terms. And I think we're all sort of pure of heart and doing the best we can and, and, and trying, you know, and, and uh, um, yeah, it, it's interesting, right? The Holy Cross Fathers uh, have this, this mantra, we want to educate the mind, body and spirit. And, and that's great. But why, why do we need a varsity? Why do we need how many varsity sports do we have at Notre Dame? Tw- 20 something? Why, why do we need this many varsity sports? Um, you know, when Jason and I are in a college of business, you, you look at gee, what do you have sort of a natural advantage at? And and here we are in, in northern Indiana. And again, I, I love baseball, I love football, I love golf, but why do we have baseball, football, and golf teams in in, in northern Indiana? What's our competitive advantage compared to I don't know what, Florida State or, or Arizona? So why why do we need all these varsity teams to educate the, the mind, body, and spirit? I, and and I don't know, I think Syracuse doesn't have a baseball team because they're in upstate New York and it snows a lot in upstate New York. So they've they've made a decision. Um, You know, I I think there's lots of ways to achieve our our broad educational mission with without necessarily having this many varsity sports. And I think, you know, Stanford sort of came to that to that conclusion. And, and, you know, it was I I suppose that COVID was sort of the tipping point. You know, they were already under a lot of pressure and and they made the decision they made. What was the decision they made? So they cut Stanford, I could go back and look, yeah, this spring, it was one of the headlines. They cut something like 11 varsity sports. Now, now in fairness to them, they, they have a, cra- they, what, what is it, the Director's Cup or President's Cup or something like that, that that annually, uh, you know, sort of how many championships do you win and all this sorts of And mm-hmm, I, I mm-hmm. forget exactly what it measures and I forget what the metrics are, but Stanford often wins because they had some, you know, crazy number of varsity sports, like like 36. Well, that, you know, our students fact check me and Google me, uh, Google this, but now, now they've, they've cut something like 11 sports and they sort of pointed to COVID as the tipping point, you know, the lack of revenue coming in, but I, but I think they, they sensed the, the budgetary pressure before that. But, I, you know, I was hoping to kind fo-
2: of come, I was hoping to come back to um, this ethical paradigm where you're talking about utilitarianism and you were saying, um, you know, how do we weigh my my interpretation of utilitarianism is we're kind of thinking about how do we weigh all the costs and benefits of whatever this thing is and we're just thinking about whatever is most beneficial relative uh you know whatever the most beneficial is minus the cost like that's that's kind of like the the right thing to do um so how do we think about quantifying the benefits of sports i mean you know you talked about uh someone living to to see football again and like especially for the these olympic sports that aren't profitable in like a strictly dollars and cents type of way i don't know how do we kind of think about the cost and benefits here
1: so so that's why i would say so this is this is probably an unpopular opinion and uh uh, but i I don't i don't think we need as many d1 sports necessarily varsity sports as as we necessarily have um and uh, uh, you know we, can, we get then we get into issues of Title IX, right? So how how do we offset uh, D one football and, and and men's basketball? Um, but but from a sort of I don't know utilitarian point of view, if you if you do like as you suggested, you do sort of this this great big cost benefit analysis. Um, you know do do the benefits of all of these Olympic sports out, outweigh? Uh, their their costs and, and I'm you know personally i'm I'm not sure that they do having said that there's a whole d1 one uh, Olympic sports infrastructure that that disagrees with me so that's you know that, that that's sort of where we are as a society right now I think there's lots of ways to educate the mind body and spirit without having so many varsity sports and I think you know you look, you look at it so this is this is a sort of a Darwinian way to look at it I suppose but but you know we're in a college of business so sometimes we you know sometimes as, as professors in classrooms we say controversial things, even things we don't agree with just to sort of stir some conversation. So Jack Welch at GE, I think he looked around the company and said, Hey, Every one of you, presidents of every one of you subsidiaries, you are going to be number one or number two in in your market, and if you are not, we're we're selling you or liquidating you or, do, or doing whatnot. That's a very sort of Darwinian sort of business approach to things, but I, but I think it it, it it does speak to you know taking a critical eye to to sports and D one sports and saying, you know, what what are the benefits we're deriving from all of these sports and what are the costs and, and how else could we achieve that, that noble mission of educating the mind, body, and spirit?
2: Jason and I should make a disclaimer here that we're somewhat biased. We've previously been faculty advisors for the Notre Dame Curling Club. That is true. And so we are, we're particularly attached, uh, attached to sports that don't generate revenue. <laughs>
1: Yeah. And I, I, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm making myself sound like this. I don't know what cranky old curmudgeonly guy. I, I just think these are like legitimate questions to ask. You know, we, we just all sort of go along, go along, go along. And at, at a college, you know, I think we should be asking, why do we do what we do the way we do it? right and then, and then covid i think is an opportunity to sort of reask the those questions about al- almost everything and 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 you know the conversation today is about sports but but uh, why why do we you know we're all asking this question now why, why do we educate the way we educate you know and and that's that that's a good question to ask and and covid is is challenging us to rethink what we do in the classroom online virtually the the two semesters when the semester starts everything else that we're also familiar with here at Notre Dame.
0: I want to I want to pivot just slightly because you touched on you know the revenue sharing model here is pretty poor racial optics Um, and you talked about players also you know wanting to have a voice that's part of the reason behind unionizing and it seems like that is in part the message the Pac-12 players you know wanted to you know in, in. in part on, um, you know, in part on the PAC 12 commissioner, you know, I just want to read just a little bit what they said. They said the lack of regard for our health and safety is central to the systemic and racial injustices opposed by NCAA sports that disproportionately exploits black athletes physically, academically, and financially. And, you know, I, I, you know, I, I can't help, but think that me right now in with COVID-19 with all of these potential and possible changes and, thinking about why we make the decisions that we do, does the country kind of need sports right now to help begin talking about these kind of conversations with racial inequity?
1: So, so I, I think so. Imagine, um, you know, let's, let's talk about the good that sports uh, do sort of, sort of generally and then quickly get into the racial issue. But, you know, we were talking about this, The uh, uh, I think maybe in our, our sort of pregame conversation, so to speak. We're talking about, you know, Tom, sadly, Tom uh, Seaver died the other day. And, and uh, you know, I was seven years old when he he put the the New York Mets basically on his back and, and carried them to a World Series uh, championship, the Miracle Mets, you know, from sort of uh, worst uh, in the early 60s. to to first and and so that that brought all this sort of joy and euphoria to a a, you know a seven year old kid but to a a region and uh and and really the nation it was such a great story Okay. Fast forward to 2020. Now that seven-year-old kid is is having conversations with his mom and dad, saying, "Mom, why aren't the Bucks playing tonight? Dad, why aren't the Bucks playing tonight?" Mm-hmm. And 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 that that is this sort of catalyst for having a conversation about what happened in Kenosha and and what is happening more broadly in our society about race. And race is sort of the topic today, but it, it could be gender. It could be you know sports is sort of a, a vehicle uh, for so much in, in our society. And and I would say. On un- un- balance, not, not you know, could all we could all point to individual cases, but on balance, sports has been sort of more progressive on important social issues like race and gender than than maybe we have been generally as a society. And and it's sort of the the vehicle by which I think we we sort of advance often as a society or have these kinds of important conversations.
0: You know, and in a conversation that we had earlier, you you know, you talked about something really interesting that growing up you know, sports was the way that, you know, you, you, you basically were able to say, I want to be, you know, player X, Y, or Z. And for you, it was, uh, who was it? Uh, Willie May. So, so yeah. if you look,
1: at, you know, our house. Like my first, my first hero as as a kid was my grandfather. We lived with my grandfather, uh, my grandparents, and and then we sort of moved in Newark, New Jersey. Then we moved to the suburbs, and and uh, my grandfather uh, ultimately uh, lived with us. And he he was a, a firefighter in Newark, New Jersey. So you're four years old. How cool is it to to have your grandfather, who's a firefighter, walk you across the street to the firehouse and put you on a fire truck? I mean, that that, that yeah. that's about as good as it gets. Yeah, it doesn't right? get any better. And so, yeah. And then so fast forward a few more years, and I discovered something called baseball. Well, my, my, my favorite player is Willie Mays. And, and I go from wanting to be a firefighter like my grandfather to, to wanting to be Willie Mays. And, and you know, to this day, I still have my Willie Mays San Francisco Giants baseball cap. It doesn't, doesn't fit anymore. But, uh, and then if you, you know, walk around our basement and you see whose pictures are hanging on the wall, that, I mean, upstairs, there's a shrine to my grandfather with his fire helmet and his fireman badges. And downstairs, there's a shrine to Willie Mays. And, and, and that was sort of, and, and, you know, that didn't seem remarkable to me at the time. But to have this little kid in the 1960s in Newark, New Jersey, wanting to be Willie Mays, that, that, that is sort of how we first encounter race. And it is how we, as a country, I think, you know, they, they, they talk about Jackie Robinson as, as the first time for many Americans that they referred to an African-American as we and, and us. And, and so, you know, I, I just wanted to be Willie Mays. I didn't, there, there was really the, the innocence of a kid, I guess. There, were, there was no real color involved. It was just sort of the next thing in my, my evolution. But I like
0: that, that idea of we and us, you know, for me, it was, I want to be a catcher like Ivan Rodriguez, uh, Pudge. you right? got to look like Ivan Rodriguez. Yeah, right. Of course. <laughs> exactly. Um, but I, it, but I had, again, the naivety of the kid, I had no idea. It was just part of my team. I played the same position. I wanted to be just yeah. like him.
1: And it became, you know, it became quickly apparent, at least for me, that I wasn't going to be Willie Face. So uh, it was Same. either going to be the the fire department or, or uh, you know, onto college. I guess I don't know. So,
2: well, that's like a hopeful way to end this. I'm I'm very yeah. frustrated by certain aspects of the NCAA and amateur athletics, but like this is a good
0: uh, a good way to stop. Yeah, so, maybe an uplifting little message here.
1: Yeah. Thanks, Brian. All right. Thanks guys. What a, what a great opportunity. And, and thanks uh, just sort of on behalf of everyone and our students. What, what a great opportunity this is uh, for you to be doing this and, and just sort of have a different avenue for uh, people to talk and our students to learn. So, so thanks. Yeah, it's been great. It a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. Thank you.
2: Thanks, Brad. I get really nervous talking about philosophy as someone who knows next to nothing <laughs> about the subject. Uh, the only thing I actually know about philosophical concepts comes from memes that my
0: brother-in-law texts to me. <laughs> so, in a philosophical sense, I think economists tend to be more utilitarian, right? Well, I think I can say that. It's much easier for us to think in terms of measurable costs and benefits.
2: So, one more note about Olympic sports, or as Jason likes to refer to them, zero revenue sports. <laughs> it's not clear that each department across the university has to be at least profit neutral. An argument for cutting in certain Olympic sports is that they don't generate more revenue than they cost. I'd like to actually suggest cutting the university library before cutting, say, I don't know, the curling team. One loses way more money for the university than the other.
0: Uh, That is certainly the hottest take we've had on All Else Equal. Also one that neither the Mendoza College of Business, the Department of Arts and Letters, Department of Finance, or the All Else Equal podcast actually endorses.
2: Well, that wraps up another episode. If you'd like to follow Brian on Twitter, his handle is at B-L-E-V-E-Y-N-D, at B-Levy-N-D. You can also listen to him, discuss business ethics in more detail, or learn about his collection of beer cans on links in the podcast description. Also, if you want to ask a question for an episode of All Else Equal, send us an email at allelsequalpodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Seriously, please email us.